Good morning. It's time for us to begin our midday program here on KRVN on this Thursday. Scott Foster here with you. Thank you so much for joining us as we take a look at what we're going to be talking about in the next couple hours. I have Jason Jorgensen in here along with Clay Patton as we uh, take a look at things and we turn it over to Clay right now. How are you doing this morning, Clay? Well, Scott, I am good. It's one of those mornings where a 30-minute project, you think, okay, I can get this done, turns into a little bit longer. But mm-hmm. the farm team has been hard at work today, and we've got a lot of great things coming up. At 1219, I'm talking with a crop extension specialist in Minnesota. You know, we've talked about all the rains in Nebraska and Iowa, parts of the, uh, Kansas and South Dakota. When we get a look there, we're actually going to be looking at the what has been considered the garden spot in Minnesota with a quick crop tour. At 1245, though, stealing copper wire from pivots, Seward and Polk County have had an increase in thefts and damage pivots over the last couple of weeks. Susan brings us more on how they're trying to deter criminals. Then at 117, it's Bryce with Eric Hunt, a staff scientist with the Atmospheric and Environmental Inc., who's joining to discuss their corn yield and production forecast. And, of course, everybody with USDA's data has been all over the board this year, so it'll be an interesting take on what we could see there. I'm going to guess that the garden spot of Minnesota has uh, mosquitoes the size of pterodactyls. But that's just I'm going to assume assume that you may want to carry a shotgun instead of deep there. <laughs> you're right. I think you're right. All right. Thanks, Clay. I appreciate it. Minnesota? How about Nebraska this well, year with all they the rain are. we've had? I agree. I agree. But I've heard that I, I think the mosquito is the state bird of Minnesota, if I remember right. In all those normal, lakes. In a normal year, you, you would be correct. <laughs> we turn it over to that's the voice of Jason Jorgensen right there. You got a chance to talk to Muhammad Barry a little bit. Yeah, Big Ten Media Days last week. We'll let you hear what uh, Muhammad has to think about uh, you know where he wants to get better. We'll hear more from him tomorrow. But he's a neat kid, and he's the guy that you know that the Husker defense struggled last year, but he was one of the guys that really stepped forward and pretty good year. 112 tackles and a playmaker for yeah, sure. That, that's the most for a Husker since the great Levante David had mm-hmm. 133 eight years ago. And Levante David's done pretty well yeah, for he's, himself. He's, yeah, he's stuck he's... around being, still being played to play football. So we'll talk about that. Also coming up in sports, we'll talk about the red hot Kansas City Royals who've won nine out of their last 12. Crazy. Some folks online are getting a little upset because with each win, then that lessens their chance of having a higher draft pick next year. Is that defeatism or what? I say, hey, if they can figure out a way to win games and finish strong this year, go for it. Worry about the draft next year. Well, and it only makes the, gives those younger players, gets them a little better, gives them a little confidence, too. But, so. uh, I think they said last night, third best record in Major League Baseball since the All-Star break. I know it's a small sample size, but... Take what you can get. It's been an improvement. Hey, hey, I've I've lived there too, man. I know what it's like. All right, thank you very much. We turn it over to Dave Schroeder. Stocks down a little bit right now. Yes, they're broadly lower uh, due to weak earnings reports from several large companies that have been pulling down the technology sector, and that's happened uh, over a couple of days this past week. And if you're a Dodge, a Chevy, a Ford pickup man, you might want to tune in here for our report coming up. There's. Uh, some interesting news about uh, the new Chevrolet Silverado coming out. Interesting good or interesting bad? 
Good. Interesting. Okay. Good. All right. All right. Just yes. checking. In. He scared me there a little bit. All right. Thank you very much. That's all coming up on Mid. Go Big Red echoes loud and proud across the Great Plains as KRVN and Husker Sports bring you Nebraska football. KRVN sets a new record each week, having brought more Husker games to you than any other station. With the power of 50,000 watts on the AM, plus 106.9 FM and 98.5 FM, you'll hear every snap of the season. I'm Greg Scheib. Join me and Matt Davison and the entire broadcast crew for Husker football on the Rural Voice of Nebraska, 880 KRV. Time for us to take a look at our weather and how it's affecting agriculture, not only for us, but around the world. Paul Perkins in here, and uh, you might have got your pavement a little bit wet this morning. Yeah, some, some areas. central areas of the region on, on into the east, and right now we've got some haves and haves not as far as go, uh, sunshine goes, because you can really see where the haves <laughs> have been uh, with the sunshine, where temperatures right now are in the low and mid-80s from about Ainsworth to Thetford and Ogallala and points off towards the northwest, and then... Temperatures into the mid-80s to around 90 over northeast Colorado. And some temperatures in the low half of the 80s over west and central Kansas right now. Look at that line from from Broken Bow to Thedford, 14 degrees difference Exactly, right yeah, yeah, big difference there. And, of course, the cloud cover associated with these rains uh, moving through. The rain's not dropping a whole lot of moisture, but currently some light rain stretching from uh, right along the Highway 92 corridor from Loop City on over to St. Paul and towards the uh, Clarks area to near Stromsburg. Also, maybe a little bit of activity south of Ward to the Arcadia area. Light shower moving through the Arcadia area. Also, some light rain over south-central Nebraska, south of Lexington, uh, near the, just south of Elwood, down to around Arapahoe, Cambridge, and McCook. Some light rain and maybe just some sprinkles in some areas. A little more organized rain currently in eastern areas of Nebraska, stretching from the northeast corner down through Fremont and Lincoln and just to the east of Beatrice. All of this activity moving off towards east and southeast. Temperatures where this cloud cover continues to be is in the upper 60s. The upper 60s to some low 70s across the area. And those 60s to low 70s, basically, low and mid-70s, basically, along and south of a line from about O'Neill down to North Platte and Imperial. But northwest of that line, those sunny skies giving temperatures into the 80s and some locations up to around 90. We will see the scattered thunderstorms remain possible through this evening in central, southwest, and eastern Nebraska, and also over northwest Kansas as a disturbance tracks towards the east. Not going to see a lot of rain with these systems due to a limited amount of moisture. Our temperature is slightly cooler than normal for today as we get that mix of sun and clouds. Tonight through Saturday will be mostly dry and a little more humid as we see an expanding ridge of high pressure and an increase in moisture move into the plains. Temperatures will be seasonal for tomorrow through Saturday. Saturday, our warmest of the next seven days in advance of a cold front. Some thunderstorms will be possible with the approach and passage of a cold front for Saturday night into Sunday. Not looking at a great rain chance with this system. Sunday and Monday, slightly cooler with that front's passage by the middle of next week. Another warm-up on the way when that ridge of high pressure once again expands across the plains. The warmer temperatures expected to stick around in the long term. Above normal temperatures in the long-term forecast are indicated for Nebraska and Kansas Tuesday through the first seven days of August. And once again, uh, started staying on the warmer note from the midweek through the first seven days of August for Nebraska and Kansas. That better chance of warmer than usual weather will be the middle of next week. Nebraska and Kansas rainfall will be mostly below normal for Tuesday through the 7th of August. A little bit better chance of some rain by the uh, later periods of that into early August. 
In the regional drought monitor released today, Nebraska and Kansas remain drought-free. Colorado did drop three percentage points to 97% drought-free. That minor dryness right now over the southwest part of Colorado. The U.S. as a whole slipped a percentage point to 89% drought-free. Still pretty good uh, factors there on the drought monitor for the nation. Weather factors driving the markets include differing Midwest temperatures and possible rain for Europe and the Black Sea region. Midwest crop weather mostly favorable for reproductive crops, but crop development remains well below normal in most areas. Soils in many Midwest areas have also been substantially dry in the, in the last month. The Midwest temperatures will be cooler to seasonal over the next five days with some showers later this weekend and early next week. Another round of extreme heat has hit European crop areas for today. Paris yesterday beat their all-time record high when it hit 105. This is after southern France had its hottest ever temperature of 115 last month. There is a chance for some rain through the end of the week, which will be important for easing the intense heat wave and also offering some much-needed crop moisture. So. France continuing to sear there. I, I'm a, I'm concerned about uh, the wine crop, uh, the grape crop, how it's yeah. doing in France right now. Yeah, that, that could be a factor there, yeah. But yeah, 105, it's hard to believe that's their hottest ever. Well, that's true. Uh, you know, compared to what we were talking about yesterday, our hottest ever was 118. But, you know, it's probably been a while since we've actually hit 105 here, too. But Yeah, that's that's hot, and all of Europe is just cooking. And they said Germany was hitting highs, too. So uh, yeah. Not a lot of air conditioners, they said, in a lot of places, too. So that'll be tough. But All right, very good. Well, uh, I guess we'll see. We're not going to get to 105 here today. No, so uh, maybe close to 90 in some areas uh, towards the west, but, yeah, not anytime soon here. All right, all right, very good. Well, thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. Where do you go to check in on your weather? KRBN.com. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network. We're going to take a crop tour this afternoon, and you're not going to have to leave your tractor cab, your pickup cab, or even if you're sitting listening at home. Let's go and find out what crops look like right now in northwest Minnesota. Our crop tour guide today is Angie Peltier. She's a crop educator with the University of Minnesota Extension. Angie, you're in northwest Minnesota. Our crops are a little bit more varied than pure corn and soybean country. We have a lot of small grains, so we grow hard red spring wheat here, barley, soybeans and corn, obviously, potato, canola, sugar beets, dry edible beans alfalfa, grass seed, so a a much more varied crop rotation for a lot of folks. I'm located about uh, halfway between Fargo in North Dakota and the Canadian border in a town called Crookston. Now a little bit south of us, Crookston near Fargo, it was it was pretty wet around spring planting, so people got in a, a little bit later than they would have necessarily liked to. I know that uh, some of our soybean fields down there were, were planted even June 1, but that's, you know, up here that's not necessarily that late. We'd like to get in the beginning of, of May, but middle of May is fine as well. Further north, we've been pretty darn dry all year. We could use some more rain, but, but that really helped us get into the fields in a timely fashion north of of Fargo and up to the Canadian border. Some areas did receive some 
some crusting when we did get some rain after planting, but overall our crops look pretty darn good north of north of Fargo. Like I said, we could just use a little bit more rain. And we will try to definitely send it some that way, flooding an issue further <laughs> further to the south. So it sounds like right there northwest Minnesota, an area is almost the garden spot because we've heard stories further to the south. Sounds like there's quite a bit of moisture that direction. That's right. We were the only region of of the larger state of Minnesota that was dry at planting time and and after planting time for for the most part. So we were the garden spot, and um, I hated to hear all of the the report in Minnesota and and in your neck of the woods about all of the flooding and and multiple cycles of flooding as well. I know the areas right along, we're in the Red River Valley up here. That river flows north, as you can imagine, as, as the river water meets frozen water, that's where, where flooding takes place with several big rain events. We did have several cycles of flooding along the Red River Valley, but it was nothing compared to what your folks have experienced this year. I know you're getting ready right now to go out this fall and look at soybean cyst nematodes and see what type of pressure they cause this year. But other than that, is there disease or pest pressure really to note in the, in the crops this year? I'm a plant pathologist by training, and this is the most boring corn and soybean crop from that perspective you could ever imagine. We also have soybean aphid pressure up here. Usually, there has not been a single soybean aphid found in our region at all. And from a survey perspective and a, a plant pathology and entomology perspective, it's boring, but it's it's sure welcome news for, for producers in our area. Angie, we appreciate you taking us on this crop tour today, letting us know what's going on on in your area again northwest minnesota before we wrap up those do final thoughts closing comments anything we may have overlooked in the interview the only thing i would say is i know that folks up here have been following the the farm press hearing about some of the the trials farmers further south uh, and in your area i just would hope that everybody has a safe and bountiful harvest and and know that everybody's thinking about you that again, Angie Peltier, Regional Crop Educator with the University of Minnesota Extension, giving us a crop tour of northwest Minnesota. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Timely, authoritative, and dependable. That's KRVN News. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brogan. Greater Nebraska's biggest newsroom brings you local and regional news on the half hour. I'm Dave Schroeder. Fox News at the top and breaking news on demand. From the Rural Radio Network, I'm Tyler Cavalli. Program 880 in every car, at work or at home, or listen all day online at krvn.com or by downloading our free KRVN app. Time for us to take a look at sports. Jason's in the studio with us here. And, you know, one of the bigger impact defensive players in the last, gosh, we talked about Levante David, but it's been a while, is Mohad Berry. Good to have him back. It is. And uh, last year as a junior, he certainly flourished in Nebraska's new 3-4 system as he logged a team-leading 112 tackles and was named third-team all-conference. And he says he takes a lot of pride in playing that position for the big red. Well, I'm a black shirt, you know. I'm a black shirt. I'm a. I'm in a long line of great linebackers. Uh, Barry Root to Levante David, to me, um, I represent them, and I represent this legacy that we've created that um, that started in uh, in the '90s and up. Started before I was born, before I was made. You know, for me, every time I play, I want to make people like that proud. 
Scott, isn't it great that the kids of today look at the 90s as the olden days? <laughs> I'm not sure it is, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, Barry's 112 tackles were the second most in the league a year ago. Going into this season, he's been named to the Butkus Award Watch List, as that award is given each year to the best linebacker in the country. Maurice Washington's status with the Huskers still is a little murky. The prosecutor of the case in California said this week that a resolution is not expected for at least a month. And while Washington awaits a final verdict on the felony charge, head coach Scott Frost has stated that he can continue to work out with the team and get ready for the season. Frost stated at last week's Big Ten Football Media Days that his playing status will not be determined until after the matter has been resolved in California. And, of course, there's also that issue in which Washington was busted this summer for marijuana in his dorm room. Don't look for him to play against South Alabama. No, he's not going to be uh, not available. Maybe by the start of Big Ten play, hopefully. We'll see. And Broncos wide receiver Emmanuel Sanders is starting to look like the speedy athletic receiver he was before getting hurt. Torrey's left Achilles tendon last December, and he's already trying to regain his form that made him one of the quickest receivers in the NFL. And he talks about his recovery plan in training camp. We don't, we don't have a... A time period on that right now but you know eventually I'm, I'm looking forward to continuously gradually um, you know 707 the team uh, hopefully one-on-ones and um, hopefully in you know two or three weeks here I'll be full speed and full go all the way around they always say if you're a basketball player an Achilles tendon injury is the last injury that you want I wouldn't think you'd want that as a receiver either no I <clears throat> We'll see if he can come back and be what he was. They need him to. Uh, yeah. They need him to. Then so, some. That's a check of sports. For more, you can find it anytime at krvn.com. And I just wanted to mention the Royals have climbed well ahead of the Tigers right now. I'm just looking at the standings oh, yeah. right now. So you weren't kidding. They're, they're on a roll. Now they're only uh, 23 games back. I heard someone this morning say, well, they're getting close to pulling out of the AL Central and it's, uh, the uh, in the dumpster of the AL Central. And it's like, they've been out of last yeah. place for the last two weeks. Wow. Detroit's horrible. <laughs> that was a team that was pretty good there for a while, and they, they are gone. It's been a while, so okay. I think the Royals are, what, six games behind the White Sox now? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, here they come. Yeah, here they White come. Sox better look out. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. A federal agency is reporting three people died in a small plane crash outside of Shadron yesterday afternoon. According to the Federal Aviation Administration, the crash of the 55 Beach aircraft took place near the Shadron Municipal Airport as the plane was on approach at around 2.46 p.m. yesterday. The privately owned twin-engine plane was registered out of California and carrying a pilot and two passengers. Meanwhile, around the same time, first responders also responded to an accident involving two locomotives derailed not too far away from the plane crash scene. The derailment caused a fire that was limited to about an acre by crews from the Shadron Fire Department and the U.S. Forest Service. Polk and Seward County have been hit with pivots being stripped for copper wire. Polk County Sheriff Dwayne Ladwig says they've had at least six reports about copper being stolen from farms. We're covering an area of uh, from the valley to Gresham area and between Osceola and Strongsburg. Ladwig has this advice to thwart copper wire thieves. Every month I would like them to go check their pivot because, you know, uh, 
And another thing is, don't leave them next to the road. That's the biggest problem. You know, they leave them next to the road, they cut that, and then they pull it from the road. They pull the wire out that way. The Seward County Sheriff's Office is looking for a four-door 2008 Chevy Cobalt with 10 county plates. At around 12.30 yesterday, the Lincoln County Detention Center was advised that a sentenced inmate had not returned from a counseling appointment. 27-year-old William Butrick II was released earlier in the day as protocol for sentenced inmates to walk to their counseling appointments. An intensive search was started by Lincoln County Sheriff's Office and North Platte Police Department. Mr. Butrick's original charges included driving under suspension, probation violation, and possession of a controlled substance. At this time, Mr. Butrick remains at large. They're asking if anyone has any information on his escape to contact the Lincoln County Sheriff's Office or Crime Stoppers. Authorities are checking for any links between the deaths of two people in Lincoln. The first shooting occurred a little before 3.45 a.m. yesterday when someone broke into a home a mile east of downtown Lincoln and shot 34-year-old Audrea Craig. Police say officers went to a hospital a few minutes later to check a report about a man with a gunshot wound who'd been helped by several people into the emergency room. He was pronounced dead later, and police are trying to identify the people who helped him. He's been identified as 26-year-old Marte Green of Bellevue. Lincoln Police Chief Jeff Blymeister said that investigators haven't connected the two deaths, which have similar wounds and overlapping timelines. I'm Dave Schroeder on the Rural Radio Network. It's lost revenue on pivots in at least two eastern Nebraska counties. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Both Seward and Polk County reporting in the last couple of weeks copper wire being stripped from pivots. Dwayne Ladwig is sheriff for Polk County. Not mistaken, I think six in the last two weeks, ten days. Uh, and it's, you know, you're we're covering an area of, uh, uh, from the valley to Gresham area and between Osceola and Strongsburg. What are some things that, that you're wanting these producers to keep an eye on? Uh, so much now modern technology, the pivots are started via their cell phones. How? Uh, well, yeah, you know, the thing about it is what, you know, uh, we would just would like everybody to keep their eyes open and uh, would, would like to catch the people doing this. Um, you know, um, the thing about it is we, you try and tell the farmers that uh, what I do is I try and tell them that every month I would like them to go check their pivot. Because, you know, uh, and another thing is don't leave them next to the road. That's the biggest problem. You know, they leave them next to the road, they cut that, and then they pull it from the road. They pull the wire out that way, you know. The Seward County Sheriff's Department says that they are looking for a four-door 2008 Chevy Cobalt with 10 county plates. 10 county, by the way, is Platte County. Sheriff Ladwig encourages folks to call if they see something. You know, the thing about it is, if anybody sees anything suspicious, uh, give us a call right away. Uh, it would be nice if they could get the license plate number. That would be great. But if, uh, you know, if they see any strange vehicles or people or think uh, something isn't right, 
uh, please give us a call because uh, that's what we're looking for. And if they're concerned about their pivots, they're encouraged to contact Sheriff Ladwig, especially if they are in Polk County. He's got some options available for them. Ken Goodall is the Director of Sales for the West Region for Ranky Manufacturing. I talked to him as well about what they're doing to help prevent the stealing of copper wire from pivots. Well, to be honest with you, the, the, the comment about not parking them next to the road is it's a good it's a good recommendation because by and large these guys that are stealing this stuff are lazy and walking out in the middle of a cornfield in july and sweating like nobody's business is is not fun for anybody so the sheriff's recommendation to put them in the middle of the field is an excellent recommendation um as far as what reiki does there's a lot of options i mean we have everything from a simple span cable clamp that clamps the wire to the pipe in a way that makes it virtually impossible to just pull the wire off the span um, to a audible alarm so that if uh, somebody cuts the span cable it just sends sounds a siren off that's like sounds as loud as a jet engine and generally that scares them away to uh, we have rope remote communication equipment that's also capable of monitoring the span cable and won't send out an alert should somebody cut the span cable. What is so the... Lots of options. There, what is, I mean, if a pivot does get hit and that wire gets stripped, let's talk about the, the downtime that's there for that producer to get you guys out there to get that new wire run. It doesn't just happen overnight. Uh, no, the downtime, especially this time of year, is is tremendous because depending on how much they strip, it's not an easy task. It's far easier to take the wire off the machine than it is to put it back in and wire everything back up because they're just going out there with a with a wire cutters and just cutting it and sliding it out. And these guys have got to go in there and do the laws. They have to go in there, reroute everything, attach it to the pipeline so that it's secured. Um, wire everything back in you really got to unwire everything because all that's left is the stub and they got to wire everything back in and again you're doing this in corn that is 8 10 12 feet tall at this point in time so not only is there the cost in downtime there's also a cost in crop loss because you know a lot of times they're having to go down through these fields knock down corn and stuff to get to it to be able to put all this stuff back on and not to mention the the cost of the insurance deductible oh, that yes. goes with it. Not a big fan of thieves, but people that steal from the people that are feeding the world are just a little bit more evil. Very much so. You know, Ken, I had a producer, and I don't know, maybe this isn't even feasible, but I did have a producer say to me the other day when we were talking about this is they wish there was a way for that copper wire to be hooked up to an electric fence type jolt. So if somebody just comes in and randomly cuts the wire, they get a good zap. Not one to kill them, but enough to try to teach them a lesson. Well, the problem <laughs> is there's no way to do that. Um, I will tell you that with some of the products that we've had, the theft of electric cable is an on-again, off-again type thing. Our comments this afternoon coming not only from Polk County Sheriff Dwayne Ladwick, but Ken Goodall, Director of Sales for the West Region with Ranky Manufacturing. I'm Susan Littlefield on the World Radio Network. 
time for us to take a look at financials and see what's going on around the world. And uh, we look across the pond right now in Japan. The Nikkei on the overnight was up 47. The Hang Seng was up 53. However, in Europe, it's been hot and everybody's grouchy, so apparently it's down a little bit. The London FTSE, they're a little concerned about new leader Boris Johnson down 12. And the German DAX index is down 160. That's pretty big for there. In the United States, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is 154 points below where it started the day. The NASDAQ down 75, and the S&P is down 15 at that time. I bring in Dave Schroeder for more. Well, as you kind of hinted, the stocks are broadly lower, mainly because of weak earnings from several large companies that are pulling down, especially the technology sector. PayPal slid 5.9% as an example. And really, the market's been volatile all week since corporate earnings reports started trickling in. Orders to U.S. factories for large manufactured goods rose last month after sharp declines in the previous two months. The Commerce Department says orders for durable goods or items meant to last at least three years rose 2%. is propelled by demand for commercial aircraft and cars. Uh, Also another report that's kind of an indicator, there's early warning signal of possible recession as fewer goods are being shipped across the country. Truck, rail, and air freight volumes fell 5.3% in June from the same period a year ago. That's the seventh straight annual decline according to the Cass Freight Index. That followed a 6% drop in May. And the persistent drops, they say, could portend trouble for the economy because shipments reflect demand for a wide range of consumer and industrial goods. Well, a new diesel version of Chevrolet's Silverado is giving the General Motors brand bragging rights for best highway mileage of any full-size pickup. GM says the rear-wheel drive diesel will get 33 miles per gallon on the freeway and 23 in the city. That doesn't say what it will get on rangeland, though. It does beat the diesel Ford F-150 by 3 miles per gallon on the highway and 1 on the city. An older version of Fiat Chrysler's Ram gets 27 on the highway and 20 in the city. All the figures are estimates based on environmental protection agency tests. So there's that. Well, that's good news. You know, as always, when you looked at the, th- at the big three, it seems like I remember this for years, people have always said, that the Chevy usually gets a little better gas mileage, the Silverado gets a little better gas mileage, and so that continues. So, good news. If you have stock in Align Technologies, I'm sorry, it's down 27% right now. The orthodontics company uh, didn't have quite as good of earnings in the third quarter and have some worries about China right now. Bristol Myers Squibb is up 5 Ford Motor Company down 8 Thanks a lot, Dave. I appreciate it. Absolutely. In today's fast-paced world of agriculture, producers need accurate market information they can trust. Sometimes you just want to know the whys of the day's markets. And our program, The Fontenelle Final Bell, gives you the chance to ask the marketing experts. I'm Susan Littlefield with the Rural Radio Network. Join us for The Fontenelle Final Bell, Monday through Friday, as we dig deeper into the factors that shape the day's market activity. The Fontenelle Final Bell, weekdays at 217, right here on Rural Radio 880 KRVN. Predicting the corn yield and production on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Dusky reporting. 
Eric Hunt is a staff scientist with Atmospheric and Environmental Research, Inc. The group recently published a July of 2019 corn forecast. Eric, before we get to your latest report, tell us more about the organization AER. Atmospheric and Environmental Research is a company based in Lexington, Massachusetts. Uh, we've been around since 1977. We primarily are a climate and uh, geosciences-based company. Traditionally, we have done a lot of work uh, on contracts with the government, particularly with the Department of Defense. Um, they actually hired me in 2012 to help fulfill some subcontracts with Air Force Weather uh, and with the Army. I have since kind of transitioned off, and I do a lot of more academic-oriented research with uh, colleagues at uh, University of Nebraska, University of Oklahoma, University of Wisconsin, so some of our old football rivals. <laughs> And you're based at Nebraska Innovation Campus, where yes. Lincoln Studio is, so we appreciate you coming up here to discuss this topic. It has a lot to do with agriculture. Of course, a lot of folks coming out with their predictions on corn yield and production forecasts, so let's add you guys to the mix. What's your prediction right now in July? Uh, so the report I came out with last week showed a yield of 164.3 bushels per acre for the U.S., and a production estimate of about $13 billion billion bushels. Now, that is lower, if I remember correct, from USDA's numbers that they've published, as well as kind of the market average at that this point. That is quite a bit lower than the USDA. I think their estimate in July was eight, or that's, I think our estimate is about 875 million bushels less than the USDA estimate. Uh, I believe the market estimate was, you know, about 13.3 billion. So we're a little uh, under that. And some of that is kind of based on the acreage estimate that I was using, um, which well, tell us a little bit more about that. What uh, things did you consider when coming up with your numbers? Sure. Uh, so I, I this, everything I did is entirely statistically based. Um, so the acreage numbers are based uh, partly on research from the University of Illinois that shows um, that there's basically about a 1 million, uh, 1 million acres will be left unplanted per 10% of late planted corn. Uh, that late planted date is May 20th. Um, this relationship is not perfect, but I mean, generally speaking, if you know, in past years where you had 30, 40 percent of corn planted late, there was about three to four million acres that were not planted. Uh, this year, that number was the highest has been uh, in at least 30 something years. Uh, so it was 50 percent of the corn was planted late uh, nationally. Um, so my estimate of, you know, based on that past relationship was that there was probably about five million acres that were not planted you know, from the based off, you know, in a difference from the margin tension, which was, uh, I think, like 91.9 million acres or, yeah, million acres. We can certainly put the statistics behind it as you did, but also drive it across the countryside. Crop doesn't look all that good in places. No, it does not. Um, you know, I would say around here, uh, it, Grant, I haven't left Lincoln in about a week. <laughs> uh, so prior to last week, it looked pretty good in eastern Nebraska. Uh, my wife and I drove to Dubuque, Iowa back in uh, late June, and most of the corn in Iowa looked pretty good. It still looked pretty good when we drove through Iowa uh, right right after the 4th of July. Um, as you get in Illinois, though, it's a lot more mixed, and as you get closer to Chicago, it's, it was really was pretty bad along I-80. There was a lot of fields that were looked like they had not been planted um, or had just emerged. You know, this is, you know, in early July, that's not good. Then uh, I've heard even worse stories about Indiana and Ohio, um, and just given where the heaviest precipitation was in May, early June, that's not surprising. We'll see what happens. Appreciate you coming in and sharing this information with us today, Eric. Yes, thank you. Eric Hunt, he's a staff scientist with Atmospheric and Environmental Research, Inc. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskey reporting. 
Over the past 18 years, KRVM, The River, and Cami have given away some pretty incredible vehicles, and this year will be no exception. Follow us to special Nebraska events, fairs, festivals, and concerts this summer, and register for your chance to win a brand new 2018 Ram 4x4 pickup. It has a custom hood, tinted windows, and spray-on bed liner. Thanks to the following sponsors, you could be bringing it home to your driveway this September. Boz Garage, Arapahoe and Fall Motor Company. Cambridge, Eustace Body Shop, Eustace Cozad, Lexington, Kearney, Grand Island, and Lincoln, Central Valley Irrigation, Holdridge, Lexington, and Kearney, CHS, Creating Connections to Empower Agriculture, SureTop Angus and Charlay, Farnham, Nutrient Ag Solutions, Nebraska Land, Kansas Land, Colorado Land, Tire Group, Lexington Regional Health Center, Lexington, Cornerstone Bank, member FDIC, with 42 locations serving Nebraska. Find more on the Fun and Games page at krvn.com. Grain markets today mostly lower. Chicago wheat, however, was mixed. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network as we talk with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Uh, speaking of grain, we couldn't hold gains in grain today, could we? No, it all fell off really from the front month. So uh, if you're long September corn, you're in the wrong contract right now. We've seen September just over the last week fall almost a nickel versus December. So that has really brought a lot of the front of the contracts down. The curve is widening out again, which tells us that there's grain available to clear. Uh, I'm not sure what the basis is doing your way, but I would imagine it's weak, uh, you know, from a nationwide perspective. Um, low here, 26 on the uh, September versus July 20 spread. Uh, that was 45 cents wide before this whole ordeal started back in May. Uh, the high was 8 under uh, just a couple weeks into June. So we've given back quite a bit of gain here. I think as the time has gone on, we've gotten closer to the eventual harvest of this crop. Um, you know, the, the, the fear of, of crop loss is starting to fade. So um, this is where it makes it difficult to market. Uh, you guys as farmers who are listening to this are on a clock. Uh, if you have on-farm storage, of course, you're in a little bit of a better spot. But if you've got to make room for corn that's going to be coming off the combine, uh, you're certainly looking at selling it here. So it was, it was down pretty much across the board in the front of the curve. And what do you think about soybeans at this time? Well, meal meal sailing as well. Down below 310 now, filled its second gap from the initial run-up that we made back in, uh, in mid-May. Um, I, don't, I mean, I think at this point the market's bored, and, and at this time of the year the seasonals all call for it to be sold. So uh, I think the market's just jumping on that and riding it lower. I do think the, 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 the spread out between wheat and corn is a good sign. We saw wheat rally today. Um, I think we're now 20 cents above September corn or September KC wheat. That was almost five just two weeks ago. So we are seeing um, some some opportunity, I think, develop for the for the corn market to rally. But really, what's the impetus? Exports aren't going to aren't going to do it. Uh, if the weather reports aren't going to do it, and the crop progress reports aren't going to do it, we're just simply kind of biding time here until hopefully the USDA gives uh, the bulls something to buy uh, on on the August twelfth report. Thanks for the comments, John Payne. Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to their website, danielsagmarketing.com. Now we'll give you a little bit of a review of this. The corn trade settled one and three quarters to five and a half lower, but the biggest drop came in that nearby September contract. Soybeans were six and a half to eight and a half lower, and the biggest uh, decline came in August, September, and November. We were slightly mixed in Chicago wheat. Kansas City wheat, though, couldn't hold the gains and finished three quarters to two cents lower. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. 
Well, that'll do it for our midday program here on KRVN for this Thursday. To hear today's midday program in its entirety, go to podcast at krvn.com.